have unlimited resource to, to find healing. We just have to find a way and to forget the imposition of materialism, of gaining wealth and financial fake security, and to find community and family and our individual uh, personhood, our, our real sense of, of being a person from the Creator on the land. Tansi, Anin, welcome to the Return of the Buffalo podcast. Uh, I'm Marcus Peter Rempel here with my friend and co-host Henry McKay. Hello. Uh, so today we're speaking with uh, Stan McKay. Um, uh, Walking Buffalo is the name he received in the lodge. Um, Stan is a very special uh, and important person in the in the life and history of Sandy Soto Spiritual Center, where we're uh, producing this podcast. Uh, he, he's one of the founding uh, people for the center, the, really a founding elder, the, the first lodge keeper here. Um, he, uh, he's a residential school survivor. Um, he has a long history with the United Church. I, sometimes I've referred to him as, as uh, Manitoba's Bishop Tutu. Um, he, uh, he, for a time, held the position of uh, national moderator for the United Church, which is the the highest office in the land um, for that for that denomination. Um, uh, he was a contributor to the the uh, the report of the uh, the TRC uh, as a as a witness, um, and uh, has been involved in in just many many different uh, initiatives for for justice and healing. I think about the the, the Northern Interfaith Task Force on uh, hydro development. Uh, and and uh, his history there, um, well respected within the church and and also well beyond the church as a, as an important uh, elder uh, and uh, representative of the the Cree people. Um, we spoke to him today from from Fisher River, that, where he's uh, recently returned to live um, with with his wife Dot, um, and. Uh, yeah, every time I talk with Stan Henry, I just uh, I, I I feel like I'm I'm just having I'm I I feel like I'm standing with a a source of wisdom, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, I'm I'm grateful to have recorded the conversation because I I want to be able to listen to the words of Stan more than once, uh, and uh, and I had that kind of experience again today. Yeah, that uh, the experience with uh, doing the podcast and talking with Stan, you know, he offered uh, many great in- insights, you know, into topics like, um, you know, residential school, um, self-sufficiency, mm-hmm. uh, as well as, you know, um, learning that he, he uh, found our ways of being, indigenous ways of being, and our lodges uh, a little later in life, you know, and that's... Uh, that goes to show that hey, you know, you're not, you don't have to be set in your ways, and you can try new things and find your way back to our traditional lodges, and that's what Stan did. And I really enjoy listening to his insights and how he reframed, you know, our communities as villages as opposed to mm. um, Indian reservations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so uh, yeah, that was uh, a great conversation we had mm-hmm. with Stan. 
Yeah, and I think one one thing I'm taking away also is is the importance of just being on the land and the power of the way the way the earth heals us. Yes. I think I think um I at least I don't know if you can identify with this Henry, but I at least you know I'm doing a lot of training uh to become a helper. Mm. Uh, in the marriage and family therapy program that I'm in right now. And and uh, um, one can begin to overestimate one's own importance. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was good to be reminded again of when we, when we have people come out and spend time on the land here at the Sandy Soto Spiritual Center, how much, you know, the land, he talked about the land being our, our faculty. I think the land is also our, our fellow healer. Yes. You know, our co-therapist. Uh, yes. That is in many ways much much more powerful um, in in providing that that safety and that uh, that place for traumatic wounds to be to be undone mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, that came through really powerfully. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, yeah, very glad to be introducing our, our listeners to Stan. Um, if you're enjoying this podcast, uh, please uh, give us a review. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, um, on Podbean, uh, and uh, yeah, if you if you leave us a review, that that really helps boost our profile and help other people connect with the conversation that's that's going on here. Um, if you feel good about the work that we're doing um, and you'd like to make a contribution, uh, please go to the Sandy Soto Spiritual Center. Uh, website at sandysoto.ca. Um, there's a, there's a donate button there, and there's a number of ways that you can you can contribute, whether it's a one-time gift or a, or a regular donation to the work of the center. Um, and uh, thanks so much for your support uh, of of the work and of the of the conversation and the and the the collecting you're you're allowing us to do of these these stories from from our elders and the, and the people that inspire us it's uh, it's a huge honor to be able to to host this podcast um, anything i'm missing henry uh no i don't think so okay so without further ado uh we give you stan mckay walking buffalo oh Arpeggiator, Stan. They gave it to me. I didn't even request that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. You got to be careful when uh, when foreign systems start handing you names right. that you didn't ask for. <laughs> Story of my <laughs> life. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So, good, good morning, Stan. Good morning, Henry. I just want to start by thanking you uh, by joining us here today. And I think it's important uh, to get uh, your word out and a little bit of your story 
and then your connection with um, Sani Soto. And so I guess a great starting point would be your formative years uh, in your childhood, your youth years. You know, mm. would you be able to tell us a little bit about that? Right. I uh, will try to be concise. Uh, I've lived a long time, so it's a long story. <laughs> and I, uh, I was born here in Fisher River on, on the reservation. And um, my first six years, uh, I tell people, were a kind of uh, living in the garden, uh, a pretty sacred kind of memory of, uh, of community. We were uh, isolated uh, in the sense that the road connections were not good. It was a trail into our village. And we uh, basically traveled by boat on the river. Probably the most crucial thing I would want to share is that uh, those childhood years, we were self-sufficient. There was no government interference, no government aid. Uh, we cared for each other. We had elders who were medicine people. We had elders who were keepers of order. We had uh, basically a, a community with, uh, with peace and uh, not prosperity, but always enough. We managed to have enough. And we knew how to live as community, as family. Uh, the language was still somewhat strong. That's, that's good. That self-sufficiency is very important for communities. Mm. And it's something that a lot of us lost when you speak to indigenous communities. Um, now, if you go to a reservation. A lot of people are, rely upon social assistance and government handouts. Mm. And poverty is a big issue on these reservations. Yes, I, I think there are many examples of uh, the transformation from self-sufficiency to dependency and the kind of loss of uh, self-worth and confidence, especially, I think, among the men who had been the, uh, mm. the hunters, mm. trappers, fishers, who lived with family uh, interdependently. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a thing that uh, is in some ways very subtle, but it, it's very steady once it's established, the process of being governed, of being uh, colonized. Uh, and so I've lived long enough to see that process here in my own village and also in northern villages where I've lived. I've seen, although it's much delayed, it doesn't happen all as quickly in the northern villages. It, uh, it happens here in the 50s in the northern villages and some of them it's not until the early 70s that the government process really takes over their life and creates dependency. 70s so that's not very that long uh, I like how Stan I like how you reframed uh, you know indigenous communities as villages as opposed to Indian reservations hmm. you know um, the way we speak the way we talk the way we reframe things is very important um, 
especially if we're if we want to get back to that self-sufficiency as as people as as villages right as a community um when you when you when you think about indian reservations it's hard to think about a village or a community um because of the way things are yes yes and uh I think you probably remember stories as well from your uh, life, Henry, about uh, our communities having uh, winter territory and summer territory, like being confi yeah. confined to a, a small mm. piece of land was a part of that uh, creation of dependency, undermining of our economy, our life of sharing and caring for each other. All of that was undermined by government policy. And interestingly, the residential schools were the first part of our uh, family, uh, uh, I guess, being impacted, our families being impacted. That happened early on in our village. But even before that, there was the church mission, which I think was misguided in that they never did see that we had a spirituality and understanding of ourselves, a yep. way of life, uh, really in many ways, uh, not unlike the biblical story of uh, of sharing and caring, of love and respect hmm. uh, for each other, for everyone. So, so that was never understood by those who came to us, and uh, and rarely acknowledged, very rarely acknowledged. So that even the organizations that came to us that wanted to do good tended to be parental uh, domineering and did yeah. not hear our voices, did not take into account. And because of our own patterns of uh, of respectful living, respect for visitors, caring for whoever came to our community, uh, we became more vulnerable, I think, uh, by mm -hmm. our, our cultural approach to others. Uh, they yeah. took advantage. Yeah, they did. If you if you look back uh, to like history and and all that, or speak to to elders, you you get a sense of a, a very humanistic approach of uh, indigenous communities. Um, you know, speaking about like uh, my my home a village, as as you say, mm. um, Barrens River, Manitoba. Um, they're still, I guess, traditional in a sense where we we still do like hunting and fishing and. Um, I, I remember hearing stories of my grandfather's trap line and how how vast that that line was and how free the people were. Um, mm. Now they're just confined to that little little area of Barents River and they still fish, but they get taxed and you know they have all these regulations they got to follow. Um, but still, like those there's some of those traditions are still alive where you know hunters go hunting and they they share the meat with the elders and you know. Um, but uh, I believe that we must find a way to, I guess, get back to that self-sufficiency and not depend on uh, the government and being oppressed the way we are. Mm-hmm. I was I was visiting with uh, one of your fellow Fisher River uh, villagers, Kelly Selkirk, uh, just earlier this week, and hmm. she was she was sharing some thoughts about. Uh, self-sufficiency and a kind of this question of how, how much how much to how much should first nations people seek their future their destiny in in a kind of collaboration with the, the larger canadian society and 
and really how much is it a time for kind of pulling pulling away she says her her kids kind of tease her for being a bit of a prepper <laughs> uh, but i like i i do wonder about um like I hear what you're saying about that 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 openness that people in your village and I think in in many many indigenous communities uh, had towards the outsider, um, and and uh, and that gracious generous hospitality that became became an inroads for for people who uh, to say it, it charitably had a lot less openness. Uh, towards the other um and uh and i i've experienced you stan as as someone who has been very generous in in being open to relationship uh with with people with people from many different cultures um uh and yeah i'm i'm just curious to hear like some of your some of your thoughts on on balancing that openness with with a, a strong sense of like these are this is who this is who we are as indigenous people this is how we protect our identity um i i wonder about that also in connection to the decision to return to move back to fisher river uh, after many many years mm. Yes, I I, uh, I think Marcus that the uh, coming back to my home village is is a pilgrimage. It it is a a way I see of reconnecting with what was uh, so valuable to me as a young child. And as I get old, we understand the circle of life is uh, is a movement from childhood to to being of an age, and uh, and uh, becoming a child again. That's our understanding of the circle of life. We begin life as dependent uh, people, and uh, we end life as a dependent people if the Creator allows mm. us to live a long life. Uh, and so, in some ways, I, I understand that. And uh, and I have many friends here still, many relatives in the community. Um, and that connection is important. It's, it's very sad that during this pandemic... Uh, We've been back home now, Dorothy and I, for uh, about six months, and we've not hugged anyone. We haven't feasted mm. with anyone. Wow. You know, all of our traditional uh, valuable links to family and and friends, all our relatives, uh, all my relations, uh, we haven't been able to do that. The one piece that has been good is that during this winter uh, Dorothy and I have been out uh, snowshoeing on the land. And uh, finally, uh, last week, uh, I found a place where there was a gray jay, my, my, my friend. So whenever we have gone into the woods in former years, we would soon be visited by a gray jay. And we'd be acknowledged mm-hmm. uh, as a sense, as, as neighbors, by that bird, by that presence a quiet, quiet presence. And and that, that piece we've reconnected with. But we've had very limited contact with with our neighbors here and with our friends. So it's it's a difficult time. And I don't think most of society recognizes 
the additional uh, burden of the pandemic on indigenous, uh, on our mm. on our culture. Uh, I've watched mm. uh, from my window a number of families come to the cemetery beside us for funerals, and it's no longer permitted for mm. us to gather as community. So it's a very sad ceremony, uh, uh, as it always would be. But there now there isn't a, the kind of support. So uh, we're living in a in a challenging time. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, it's been tough, you know, for um, even even in the city. But I I can imagine like back home and in, in the villages that's where you're a lot of a lot of people are isolated already but like to be isolated from your your core group or your core yeah. family or even that community that's just like that just compounds everything else really yeah so yeah we're talking about self-sufficiency and then you know i guess that's you know that that'd be a formative part of your 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 childhood and then um you know later on in life um there's uh i i know that you uh you do have some experience with the uh, residential school. Would you be able to speak about that a little? Yes. Well, uh, in in our village here in Fisher River, we had a when I was growing up a two classroom school that I attended until the eighth grade, and then um, the only option for education was a uh, residential school. So we were taken classmates that I attended school with here. We were taken uh, for 500 kilometers away from home to a residential school. And uh, I spent five years there uh, before I completed high school. And uh, uh, that was, you know, a very difficult time. I, uh, I always compare it to a kind of incarceration. Mm-hmm. We, were, uh, we were held captive in, in this facility and... Uh, um, taught uh, British history and we were uh, mm. taught uh, you know science and uh, and math and so on and uh, but none of it had any cultural connection at all I found it all quite uh, philosophical I guess <laughs> something it was an imposition all of it and uh, mm. uh, I was more fortunate than some others I was often able to get home for Christmas Mm. Um, although it was a challenge and a, a great expense to my parents, uh, my family, but I was able to get home. Uh, and for a time, uh, my elder sister was in the school where I was, but we weren't allowed to even visit. We, she was another part of the school. And even in the dining room, we were not uh, permitted to visit. So, uh, mm. you know, it was, it was the, the breaking of family in every possible aspect I think so my memory of that is uh, a kind of numbness a kind of uh, disconnection with my own person a kind Mm. of uh, survival there were some good people in the school uh, some friends that I made I was looking at a picture just the other day of fellows that I I came to know in the residential school from Saskatchewan and Manitoba and uh, and from the north and so on but uh, as I say, the life was very restricted and uh, very controlled. Yeah, uh, the residential school experience has impacted um, our our people greatly. 
you know, um, as an, as an indigenous person myself, I really didn't know really too much about residential schools. Um, back home, uh, they have a, a day school, which was pretty similar, but the only difference was they were allowed to go home at nights, you know. Yeah. A lot of the, the abuse, the atrocities that um, people suffered in those schools um, happened in day schools as well. Uh, the first time I actually learned about residential schools was um, actually in Lodge, and Sweat Lodge, and and I learned, uh, you know, that uh, from from these these people, these survivors, these residential school survivors, you know, telling your story is healing, and so they were able to let a lot go in that lodge, and and I, I uh, you know, I experienced and I felt those emotions and those feelings that they had, and so it was very powerful. It really impacted me personally, you know. So I can imagine how that you know impacted you actually experiencing that being disconnected from family being numb how do you think that shaped you into the person you are today well i you know i I carry images of uh, of punishment uh, that i think in today's world certainly would be uh, unlawful but i remember three young fellows ran away from the school i imagine they would be about 10 or 11 years of age and they ran Mm -hmm. away and of course the rcmp were called and they brought them back the following day, uh, they were brought into our dormitory, stripped and beaten with a strap. Um, and we were to watch this so we would learn that that behavior was not, mm. not acceptable. And so the pain of that kind of uh, uh, torture, that kind of experience, mm-hmm. marks my life. Um, but it's also interesting that it made me... Uh, in terms of my own mental process, I think this is the normal process. This is the way life is. <laughs> you know, you don't really even mm. question what's being done to you and, and to your friends because you're you're being held there and uh, and you don't know of any other way. Uh, you haven't experienced uh, liberation and revolt of any kind to this this imposition. Mm. So I think I would say, Henry, that for about. Uh, almost 20 years after I left the residential school, I continued to live in a kind of cloud, not really connecting to my own issues, my own own sense. I didn't have a, a lodge to be a part of at that point. I hadn't found my way to the lodge and uh, really was living as though I... Uh, I, I should be just a human being and not cause any problems, you know, just be obedient and uh, and follow the way that was being offered by the dominant society. So I, uh, for many years, I carried that and gradually I'm becoming uh, a little more aware of of what torture is and, uh, and also what uh, colonization, imposition on us as peoples, indigenous, uh, what that, that has really done to us and uh, and the trauma that I have carried all these years. Yeah. How how did you find your way back to the lodge, Stan? Um, I made some friends in in uh, north central Alberta, some Cree uh, Cree men. And uh, in working with them, they invited me to ceremony. In fact, hmm. they invited me to be part of building a lodge and. Uh, 
And uh, my first lodge experience was in Ontario with a number of Cree people, mostly mm -hmm. from Alberta. And uh, an elder who came and uh, led us in ceremony. We built a lodge and, and had ceremony. So uh, it was friends, people I trusted, who, uh, who brought me to the lodge. Uh, I had already gained some trust and uh, respect for traditional spiritual ways. But this was my first opportunity. And so, uh, you know, it, it was uh, significant, uh, something I'll never forget, that first experience. Uh, and then, you know, years and years of engagement in in the lodge and ceremony and, uh, and the way of prayer of our people. Uh, so I've, I've had a long engagement now, and uh, that has brought a level of, uh, of healing in myself. And uh, I think in people with whom I've lived, uh, including family. Um, but it's difficult because I was also engaged in the church. And the church okay. continues to be, in some ways, very judgmental, very, mis yep. very much uh, opposed to our ways of, of ceremony. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so when you speak about the lodge and, and indigenous ceremony, um, what significance and what role do you, do you see those um, ceremonies um, playing uh, when it comes to, I guess, gaining our self-sufficiency back? our self-governance and autonomy? Well, I, I guess there are a number of possible answers, and, I, and I, probably none of them would be very very direct, but I, I can remember visiting a, a group of people gathered at Six Nations years ago. Mm -hmm. And I was there as a visitor, and they were uh, attempting, church people were attempting to understand uh, what was happening in the community. And they invited leaders from the community. I remember a Haudenosaunee elder uh, and from that community as well, uh, a, a pastor from one of the churches, indigenous. And, uh, and the panel was discussing issues. And at one point, the pastor made a strong statement that uh, the ways of, the, of his people in his village, uh, many of them were holding on to the pagan practice and we're gathering in traditional ways, and he thought this should be ended. Mm. The response of the Haudenosaunee elder, the leader from the, from the longhouse, was what my brother says is true. What my brother says is true. And this is what mm. we're attempting to do in our spiritual gatherings. He never made any attempt to defend or, or attack someone who was opposed to his way of life. And then for me, he has remained as a model of, uh, of how you can live in respect for, for difference, for ways of prayer and spiritual growth. And so I have uh, tried to model my life with that respect. And, uh, and so the lodge has always been for me respectful. Uh, uh, I, I know there are some lodges that are very critical uh, because mm -hmm. of their treatment by by the society, they've they become very radical in their in their process, and very much uh, angered by the church's role. Um, but yeah. I've been with elders who have expressed anger with the church and with the society, and how they have marginalized us, and uh, attacked us and opposed us. 
but but generally they are willing to talk and uh, and be engaged with diverse community and respectfully mm -hmm. engage. So I think Henry, that you know your experience probably also reflects uh, something of that uh, respectful relationship. Yep. So yeah, like when it comes to like the sweat lodge in particular, you know, I used to um, I used to be very radical and very critical of the church as well. You know, because I, I did see the atrocities that uh, they've done to our people. And I, I, I always thought that, um, you know, it had to be separated, you know, the church and the sweat lodge. Mm. Um, but, you know, you gotta, you got to have a level of respect. You know, I, I remember a, a close friend telling me, you know, hey, who are you to, to say how these people pray? If, they, if they're comfortable in that church, then, you know, it's, it's not up to you to, to be telling them. You know, so what I what I do is it's like I'm I'm with you know what I do is I respect that, but I'm this is my place. Mother Earth is my church. I'm in mm -hmm. the lodge. Um, the only the only thing that I guess um, that I I practice is um, when when in the lodge, you know, respect the grandfather, respect the lodge, and because you'll actually hear a lot of people praying, and um, the word Jesus Christ comes out a lot, and I respectfully say, like, that can't be here because um, I've actually seen people get triggered, mm. you know, into, mm. you know, into some trauma, into that connection that they have with the church, because a lot of the experiences uh, aren't really good. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I think the uh, the impact of colonial uh, domination of uh, of indigenous ways and uh, attempt to erase all that is indigenous uh, the uh, i remember the uh, truth and reconciliation commission often quoting that uh, the goal of the society of government and of, of the agencies of government was to take the indian from the child take the indian out of the child and yeah. uh, i think that has been uh, true now the the challenge in here in the village is is to find a way of respect so that uh, I think the 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 mission of the churches has tended to create a, a judgmental approach mm -hmm. of of our own culture so it becomes very difficult when my cousins are attacking the uh, the traditional way of prayer but that's happening in our communities and so it's it's ripping us apart. I think it's causing uh, great tension. But I see growing signs among the young people of uh, of attempting to struggle with uh, what it is to be spiritual and what it is to find the road that um, is a is a way for us. Um, so uh, you know, I've spent a lot of my life working within the church confines. But when I was at the center in Beaujolais, at the Sandy Soda Spiritual Center, as it's called now. When I was working there, we worked very hard and with some opposition to maintain a, a lodge that was respectful of, of all the ways of prayer. And the highlight of my time caring for the lodge in, in Beaujolais was mm -hmm. uh, a time when we had visitors from seven faith communities, world religions, so there were uh, wow. 
Buddhists and 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 Hindus and and Jewish people, uh, Muslims, uh, all we were all in a circle together for uh, about four days, and on the second day of that meeting, uh, the Muslim man came to me with tobacco, and said, "Well, I want to go to the lodge." And so the word went through that community, and uh, I think eight of us went to the lodge. And we were able to pray in that lodge. Mm-hmm. And everyone was invited to pray as they would pray in their own culture. And one of the issues is interesting was the, uh, uh, the, the man who was there from the, uh, uh, the Sikh community asked if he could keep his turban during the ceremony, that that was his way of prayer. Mm-hmm. And my response was... Uh, that wouldn't uh, keep you from the lodge. That uh, that's a part of who you are, and the lodge uh, is a place of, of healing. And the four directions teach you how to uh, mm. to be in community. So so we had a ceremony. I remember that evening, and uh, and it it really was a fulfillment of a prophecy by one of the elders I learned from about when the four winds blow, the people will come together and the people will be healed mm-hmm. and the earth will be healed. So somewhere in the back of my mind over these years, I I haven't moved very far on this idea, but I think the idea of, of interdependence between people yep. of good hearts and good minds can, can bring us together. I, I believe there is a way, but uh, we are so busy uh, defining what is true for us and defending it I don't think you defend faith. I think you live it. And, mm. and I've learned that from elders. Uh, I've learned that from my, my elders here in the village. Uh, it's how you live that expresses your, your belief, your faith, your faithfulness. So uh, uh, there, are, there are organizations in Winnipeg, I know that uh, the center works with, that are called Mamawi. And that in our yeah. language means together. And I think that, in our language, reflects uh, something I aspire to. Uh, that whatever whatever people bring, it's a part of life, and we have to respect, honor each other, and withhold judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's very important. Hmm. Mm. So we were talking about like reconciliation a little bit and then um, about the lodge. And so what do you see like the role of the church playing um, when it comes to like reconciliation and decolonization? Well, I I think I, I heard a young indigenous man speaking to a gathering of church people in Winnipeg uh, a couple of years ago. And what he was saying to us is in the church is that, uh, you know, indigenous population is a small percentage of Canada. We're, we're really a, a real minority. And so for things like the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Process, to happen, it cannot be left in the hands of indigenous peoples to to lead and to to empower the whole process. It has to be the, the society. The larger society, the, the population has to be engaged. I think the calls to action are an attempt at that, but uh, 
I still see in the church most of the expectations are that we as indigenous will bring about the healing. And all of us need healing and all of us need to be engaged. So uh, I think the church's role uh, uh, implies many things. I, I still remember being at a meeting in Haudenosaunee territory. And we were in the hall and we were meeting and uh, well into the gathering. And and I was sitting by a door down to the basement and uh, I could hear someone coming up the steps quite loudly coming up the steps. So I opened the door behind me and I looked and there was an elderly person, person probably in his late 80s, 90s, coming up the steps, a big man with a cane. And I said to him, can I help you? And he said, yes, get out of the way. <laughs> uh, again, I think that was a, a significant lesson. I think uh, uh, the church has to learn in some instances mm. that they have to get out of the way and do their own work in the society mm. and uh, reconsider the whole history of of mission and colonization. For some years now, I've, I've struggled with using the word at all. I think the word mission is misused. I think it, it's been a guise of engagement in colonization. It goes back to the history yeah. of the Crusades. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's a problematic term. So I, I think the uh, I've told the church a few times that I think their role is remission. That's a cancer term. To deal with the cancer, you uh, you have to acknowledge that remission is 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 going back and then recovering your health. So I I I'm inviting the church for for some years now to be in about remission. Yeah, that's that's important, you know, remission and uh, uh, also acceptance. You know, I you you spoke about that earlier, where there's there's judgments though, you know, within the church mm -hmm. and within our communities of our, our traditional ways of being. So I, I believe that the church, you know, must accept that hey, these people kept all these traditions alive through everything, through colonization, through missionary work, through residential school, oppression. Um, we fought really hard to keep it alive. And, you know, I think it's time that they, they finally accept that this is a beautiful way of being, a beautiful way to pray, and a beautiful way to, to be connected to spirit. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, Henry, that's, I think that's a, that's a good statement. I And that reminds me of, uh, uh, you know, the, the place in the lodge of... Uh, getting back to the land. And I think my discomfort with the reconciliation as it is now being offered is it doesn't give enough uh, space for uh, reconciliation with the co-creation, with the world, mm. with the natural world, with all of the creatures and the, all of the creation. Reconciliation isn't just about human beings getting over their, their disputes. And their differences. It's about uh, learning to respect each other, but it's also about living with respect in creation. Uh, and I don't believe the theologies of the churches that I've uh, read uh, really have that balance. They tend to be about human salvation. 
and yes. that's madness uh, when when we have mm-hmm. a crisis uh, in the climate climate change crisis we uh, you know we continue to talk about uh, in the churches about uh, human salvation and we never acknowledge that we have a place in the wholeness of creation so so my my favorite part of the lodge ceremony is when you crawl out and the elder instructed us to say all my relations and I gradually mm. came to learn that that meant the grasses and the trees and the, mm. and the water and, and the whole of creation as well as, as all the people that live on the earth you know it's a it's a general acknowledgement of, of life and uh, I, I would like that to be a part of the reconciliation conversation yes that's very, very important. When I, you know, when I, when I look at the church and, and even not just the church, but like, I guess, Western, the Western worldview, you know, um, they view humans at top, like it's a hierarchy and humans are at the top. We're the most important, but in reality, we're, we're actually a part of like that circle of, of, um, being and spirit on mother earth. Mm. And, uh, our people lost that. So, you know, like you talk about la- uh, being out on the land and, you know, I, I learned just through personal experience through my work and then also the work I, I did at Sandy Soto, the importance of land-based healing and finding that connection back to land. Um, can you speak a little bit about that? Right. Uh, you remind me of a story, Henry, uh, of, of visiting with uh, a woman who was working in the area of Labrador, Seshaji. Sish- uh, a number of years ago, I think probably almost 30 years ago, she was working up there, and and they had just undergone colonization's impact to an extreme extent. They'd been moved off the land into a village. A school was built. They were required to have their children in school. It was a law. And, uh, and so here they were living in houses in a community which was not normal for them. Their life was semi-nomadic. They lived on the land for much of the year and then came to the coast to spend part of their summers and uh, doing some fishing in the summer by, by the coast of Labrador. But here they were in this village. Uh, life was disintegrating and they were uh, not living healthy lives. And she was working with them in the village and uh, there was violence and there was addiction and uh, a lack of creative life. Uh, children were suffering. And then someone in the village, she said, decided that they should move back onto the land. Mm. And she went with one group. They were in different clans, different groups. And they went onto the land. And she had photographs before and after. Within two hmm. weeks of the families being on the land, she had photographs of people sitting together, smiling, looking strong and healthy. The recuperation was just phenomenal. Mm. And, uh, mm. and all they mm. did was go back to their way of life and their, their system of being community. So, so I think mm-hmm. uh, we make it very complex sometimes. But the land, I, mm. I think, I, and I really appreciate what the center has been doing uh, around the land. Uh, the earth is the faculty. The land brings healing. That concept, to my mind, is uh, is so important for indigenous communities. Uh, I think for the whole world. 
it's very like it like you said like we 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 over i guess it's it's it, i guess it's more complicated it's perceived as being more complicated as it should be you know it's it's very simplistic actually you know just really just being out there and, and finding that connection that's that's very humanistic and you know um i remember you know my dad speaking to me about saying that you know the world we live in is is is, is fake and materialistic and it takes a toll on your spirit and being out on the land you know that that wakens your spirit and finding that connection and i always think about how um, lodge keepers they say you know mother earth will take care of you mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can see what what stirred your imagination, Stan, when uh when we had our first uh Mamoyotaski gathering in October, I think it was of twenty seventeen. Mm. Um which was uh, a time of being on the land in community and uh engaging some of the traditional activities like, like processing a hide together and uh mm. Um, and, and you, you, I think it was you, your voice in circle that, that made the connection to the family project, uh, that was in its, uh, beginnings. Uh, I, I just wonder if, if you might, uh, just trace that origin story a, a little bit, a little bit more in terms of your participation and how did that, what are your memories of how that conversation got started about family wellness work at, at Sandy Soto and, uh. And, and and then after looking back, maybe just any, any any words you would have in terms of your your vision or hopes uh, for that work at the center going forward. Well, the uh, the importance of land and uh, and water, the importance of, of forests and uh, and the gathering of food natu- in natural ways. Uh, you know, it was something that was in the back of my of my childhood on the reservation. My my grandmother uh, on on my mother's side of the family used to take us berry picking in the summer as small children. We would learn how to uh, how to gather food, and uh, and I, you can't sort of uh, imagine the, the significance of uh, a group of young children. At the end of, uh, mm. of an afternoon, looking at a a bowl of wild strawberries, you know, you've been working all afternoon, and it's not very much, but it's 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 life, it's life. Otemina, we call them heartberries, and so I learned as a young child uh, about the name of of the fruit of the land, about the uh, meaning of gathering as family on the land, and. Uh, and I've known all my life. I, uh, my uh, grandfather used to dig up a garden uh, in the in the summertime. He'd learned that in residential school. Uh, so it was something he thought was was a value. And uh, and he continued as as he grew uh, on the land with family, and he taught us. And I can still remember in the summertime, uh, in the beginning of the summer, uh, going out to the garden and leaning over and putting your hand on the onto the earth soft warm earth and you'd leave a leave a finger a uh, handprint in the soil mm. and i still remember how how rich and life-giving that uh, that soil was you know you you would plant believing the creator would give you something good 
and uh, and I learned that from my grandparents. Um, so so the gardening, the the being on the land, um, here by the lake in a, near our village, knowing that the water gives you food, gives you life. Uh, we always knew that that's probably the the strongest strongest component of the health of our community, the remnant of health that is here is connected to the lake, the goodness of the lake. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess when we were meeting at the center and uh, I began to recognize after spending some time there that we had a fair bit of land there by the, by the river, by the broken head, and that mm -hmm. it was waiting to be used, waiting for the people to, to come. And, uh, and the few attempts we made earlier on to bring families out in the summertime from the city to be on the land, uh, all of that was so positive. And then when we began to hear from people about the heightened uh, st uh, stress there was around keeping family, especially as single parents, that we, we had land and there were people who needed to find some strength, some possibility for family life. And wanted to be good parents, so we we had done some experiments. And then when we sat around the fire in the Sandy Soto Center with people from the city who, who didn't want to go home, they they <laughs> loved the uh, the place, they loved the the land, they they loved the fire and the and community. I think I'm a pretty silly man, but I think even I could understand. The land was going to do something for us. It was there. Mm. And uh, when, when some of you became engaged, and, uh, and now with, uh, with the experiment growing to a point where, especially the urban people, but, but even the people in the villages, need to find safe places on the land, safe places mm. where they can be themselves and, uh, and their children can find peace even for a brief time. It's a start toward a process that may assist them in growing in confidence and, uh, and finding a way to be, to be a good family. So it's, you know, there's never anything magic to me other than that the soil was there, the earth was there, hmm. the water was there, hmm. and, and we weren't using it. I worked there for hmm. almost 15 years before I began to talk with you, Marcus, and uh, and learn now from you and, and Henry about your plans and vision. Uh, you know, it, it took me a long time to recognize that uh, we had a resource there. And that resource is, is everywhere in, in the rural areas mm -hmm. of the countryside. So we have unlimited resource to, to find healing. We just have to find a way and to forget the imposition uh, of what Henry was saying earlier. The imposition of uh, of materialism, of gaining wealth mm -hmm. and financial fake security in financial uh, terms, you know, uh, and um, and to find community and family and our individual uh, personhood, our our real sense of of being a person from the Creator on the on the land. So, uh, as I say, I was a slow learner. I had many opportunities to have done something earlier, but now I'm glad that Marcus and Henry are doing something of significance uh, 
to offer to people uh, uh, a way back to the land. Mm. Thank you. Stan, you were talking about remission earlier, and it uh, it made me think of something that I've heard Henry say about his new job. Uh, sometimes he's referred to it as a, a reverse evangelist <laughs> role. Like, um, and uh, I, I, it just it strikes me like the path that Henry's uh, heading out on, and and the kind of the path you headed out at a similar age as a as a uh, a young teacher in the in the school system, uh, and as a graduate of residential school, and and uh, it's an interesting kind of compare and contrast with with the work that Henry's heading out to do. So I, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about this, this good news of, of this new opportunity, Henry, that you're heading into, and uh, it'd just be interesting for the two of you to share some, some reflections on, uh, on that comparison and contrast. Okay. So uh, I, I'm get, I got hired on as an uh, independent contractor for um, a child welfare agency. And uh, the agency serves uh, a various number of, of um, uh, Indian reservations, and uh, they're really there's a lot of intergenerational trauma, um, neglect, abuse, all that thing that comes with um, oppression and colonization and residential school. Um, but there's uh, like, like we were speaking about that earlier. There's there's a big judgment and and that when it comes to our traditional ways of being. Um, they're very Christianized out there, um, and they look down, they frown upon um, any anything that that ha- has anything to do with our traditional ways of being. So, what I'm going to be doing is traveling to those um, those reservations and working with chief and council, community members, and most importantly, hopefully, the youth. You know, to see what kind of cultural programming they'd be interested in. Um, you know, if they if they need a sweat lodge, you know, we'll set one up. Or if they need drumming, or if they need uh, a workshop for me to kind of present and, and and just like teach them a little bit about what like I know, and then maybe bring some other people in and you know get that spark started where they can reclaim that traditional ways of being. So I I think yeah, like I I really think that's um, important work when it comes to reclaiming our our identity as as an indigenous people and particularly Anishinaabe um, with these uh, communities I'll be serving. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a very necessary piece of work, Henry. I, I know uh, young people here in, in our village have, uh, have a lot of confusion because the families are divided. There are, there are growing respect for traditional uh, uh, ways of life of our spiritual journeys, uh, traditional ways, but there's still a very strong uh, Christian opposition to uh, to what has been described by uh, by colonizers as as pagan ways and, uh, and discounting of uh, of ceremonial prayer. So, so I think that uh, your work is going to be is going to be very challenging. I, I wish you strength. As you do these things, because there will be, uh, there is fear. You know, part of the trauma mm-hmm. that we live with is the, uh, the growing fear. And uh, uh, I just, I, I'd be wondering, mm. do you start this fairly soon, or have you begun the work? Uh, 
Uh, I'm starting, yeah, sometime in March. Mm. And then I think it's just gonna, I'm gonna, I guess I'm gonna take it slowly. I'm just gonna develop some kind of programming or, or workshops where, um, it's gonna be very introductory. I'm very, I'm gonna try and simplify it as much as I can, you know, cause, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a big fear out there, mm. you know, and I think a lot of that has to do with, um, trauma responses and, and all that when it comes to intergenerational trauma. So I, I, yeah, I'm going to really have to tread carefully. Um, and yeah, you're right. I'll, I'll need a lot of strength and patience. And uh, I'm just excited to, to even have that opportunity. Because mm. if, you, if you look back, um, there hasn't really been an opportunity like that, really. You know, it's always been shut down or, or uh, you know, not even thought of. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm just happy that there's even an opportunity to do that. Yes, that, that's a very creative initiative, and I'm, I'm glad you're able to do it. Um, will you maintain your contacts with the lodge where you are and uh, uh, look after yourself in that way? Yeah, so that's very important when it comes to like, I guess, being a lodge keeper. You know. Um, keeping your home fire lit the best possible way that you can, you know. So I'm going to be going out there maybe, you know, starting other fires for other people, but it'll be mm. up to them to maintain that, mm. you know, and just maintain my fire and my, my home lodge and the lodges that I take care of out here. You know, um, that's that's very important to me. You know, that's, that's actually central to who I am. Hmm. Well, we've we've spoken for uh, a little more than an hour now, and and um, it's uh, I, you know, I I had a lump in my throat uh, hearing that, and even though I understand it perfectly well, hearing that you know the the name of Jesus Christ has become a trauma trigger mm-hmm. in the lodge, and also now that that for some others their trauma manifests as fear of their own roots fear of their own gifts their own tradition um but it's it's done my heart good to sit with uh these two mckays uh (laughs) virtually um and uh uh i'm grateful for the the wisdom and the humility and the respect uh, uh that that has been in this conversation and, and, and a deep seeking after after truth and integrity and, and a, a reconciliation with all our relations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm 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 deeply grateful. Um, I it's uh, it's difficult to pass tobacco through the through the the t- the computer screen stand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, but I wonder if, if I could ask you to, uh, to close this time with uh, a prayer. Mm. <laughs> Wabatamah, 
Thank you so very much. Thank you. For Thank you, Stan. Thank you. We'll talk again. We'll yes. talk again. <laughs> <laughs>